This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Welcome back, Land Legacy Podcast. Uh, this is Adam here, and uh, we got Matt Dye in here somewhere. I'm here. You know, I almost started coming up with just like, yeah, okay, short story. My uh, my wife likes like when when the kids go to bed, we are always trying to play catch up, and we are always like she'll like put on TV shows and. And so, like, I'm doing dishes or whatever. We're tag-teaming something. She's trying to catch up on the business stuff and da-da-da-da-da. And she'll turn on TV to kind of make some background noise. And, you know, we go through the normal TV shows. And we notice she found that Home Improvement, which is ironic because I mentioned a couple references about our consulting business with with that show. And um, it came on. And... Um, I almost started just then. I thought, I thought it would be funny because, you know, we opened the podcast now for however many years. So this has been five years, the same way. It's like, you're going to hear the intro brought to you by Whitetail Properties. This is all, 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 whatever our intro is. I forget most of the words now, but, and then we say, welcome back to the Land Lakes Podcast. We're your hosts. Da, 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 da. And I almost did a home improvement where it's like, and this, and I'm, uh, we're your hosts, and he says Tim, and he says and Al, and he says a line or whatever it gives him. And I was just like, what, what would I call? Or what could I say with Matt, and or with Chad? Like, and th- I'm Adam Keith, and this is, you know, I was gonna say, um, I don't even remember. I was gonna say something for Matt and introduce you, so it'd be like a joke. Like, what am I gonna say today? And uh, and it's October. What is today's date? October the eighth, ninth. 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 So I'd say, I don't, have you hunted yet, Matt? No. No, you haven't hunted. <laughs> I haven't hunted. You've filmed, you've been in the tree uh, quite yes. a bit. And so you've been in the tree, but not hunting. And it's October, so season's been almost a month up. So I'm going to say, I'm your host, Adam Keith. And this is, and also joining me is Itchy Trigger Finger Matt Die right here. Because I bet I'm, you you're I'm you're getting ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I mean, our as as we've talked the last couple of days, our schedules are are beginning to free up. Um, and, and cold fronts and, are beginning to happen. And yeah, rain is in the forecast. Tree, as crazy as that sounds, it's in the forecast. Yes. Um, so, as the schedule is starting to free up, there's light at the end of this travel tunnel and um, consulting tunnel for for this time frame, and it's like. Okay, I am ready. I am. I am. Yes, itchy trigger finger to get out. Um, and I, I, I looked in the freezer the other day. I was like, "Wow, fresh out of tenderloin." Okay, mm. I have a couple roasts, and I'm like, "All right, that um, that needs to change." Well, maybe it's time so, to put some tenderloin in the freezer. That's. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready, <laughs> man. Um, so uh, yeah, no. It has been great. I mean, I got a pretty good streak going um, of 
of the hunts that have been out. Um, of course, there was like three with Seth and then now two with Chad filming. And every time um, we've had bucks or decent bucks like in very close range. And so it's like, I mean, they've been very fruitful. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't want to break that. But at the same time, I do have a new bow and it's sitting over there staring at me saying, I can feel that cold air and it ain't, uh, I'm not out in it. Yeah. So It's going to happen soon. I've got this consult this week, and then I think after that I'm I'm done for a while. Um, yep. Maybe uh, uh, I may have a few things to do, tidy up, but no like big consults after that. And <laughs> um, and so then it's on. And I've been trying to get some house stuff in line uh, after the Utah deal, trying to get the business stuff. There's been some major stuff we've been trying to do with that and get caught up and put behind us. And um, after that, I'm like, okay, you know, the end of October is going to get dirty. Like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in it. I'm, I'm, well, I'm done. That, I'm, although it's itchy trigger finger, <clears throat> it's not one that I honestly yet feel. I haven't missed out on anything yet. And and I know there's some people who you know their early seasons you know, on fire and this and that, but for me, I don't typically get really ramped up and excited until I really start feeling the cold weather. Yeah. Um, and we've had, a, <clears throat> excuse me, we've had a couple mornings that certainly been in the thirties and, uh, and the sun, you know, lights cracking them out. So I drink coffee. It's like, wow, this is okay. Now I'm, I'm getting there kind of mentally. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready, but I know that truly the best is yet to come on yeah. it. Yep. Uh, it's going to be good. Uh, I know that there is a – some guys have already experienced a good frost. Um, yes. And we have certainly um, – have. it's it's weird. I know that Chad's got a good friend, or he's a friend of both of us, but Chad talks to him more regularly, and he's a farmer that lives in a valley right next to a, a creek, and uh, he's already experienced a couple frosts this year, uh, this fall. And um, – I I don't think we have at the farm, but then I was there on Saturday just a few days ago, and we were moving cows, and I noticed that the plantain or, uh, you mm-hmm. know, common name toe jerkers, um, uh, had looked a little wilted, and I'm like, I think yeah. they might sell frost. Johnson mm-hmm. grass didn't look frosted, so it was like I don't know, maybe it was just that it's kind of the end of the cycle for those end of the year. So we'll see, but right. um, I know that next Monday, a week from tomorrow, there will be frost in the valley. Yes. When it's There's 32 no normal temp, it's going to be 20 something down there, and there'll be a frost. So sure. get ready; the I... leaves are going to fall early this year compared to last year. And that I'll, I'll be very excited about um, just for some consistency in hunting some timbered stands in the first two weeks of November last year. It was, it was difficult um, on the lighter wind speed days and, and just tough conditions. But I woke up the other morning <clears throat> and had um, linked into some cameras <clears throat> on um, some farms in Iowa. And without a doubt, it was one of those, wow, that is frosty white. It almost looks like a little skip of snow fell which it didn't but it was just that hard of a frost yeah um the background of some pictures like yep okay they definitely got it mm. um it's happening and it's coming and uh this is the time of the year i mean that we're really really kind of 
I won't say live for, but we just prepare a lot for. You know what's um, interesting, and I think about with my schedule and your schedule, um, and, you know, where we had worked in the past, uh, I've worked for a couple different companies that, that had shows. And the one thing that, you know, when you talk about relatability for a lot of people, it's it's like, well, you get to hunt all the time. Well, you've got this this awesome farm and blah, blah, blah. And you can think about things where you're like, I'm not really relatable to you because when you hunt four or five days a week and then the rut hits and you hunt six or seven days a week, there's not many guys who are listening to this podcast that can say they do that. Yeah. And that's where one of my biggest hurdles with in trying to be relatable for a lot of people was, yeah, I mean, we're hunting 2,500 acres or 1,200 acres in southern Iowa or 2,500 acres in southern Missouri, but tons of food plots, unpressured deer, and we're hunting four to seven days a week. It's hard, it's, it's hard to be relatable to that for a lot of listeners yeah. that are following this podcast. And uh, maybe I'm stepping back into more of a relatable boat. Now we own a little bit bigger chunk than on average um, now, but at the same time, I haven't even picked up a bow and set in a tree stand yet because life's been too busy for me. Um, the last, I was planning on hunting yesterday, but um, due to some health uh, decline in grand in a grandparent, I spent we spent some time there, and by the time we got out of there, Chad and I looked, and I was like, I don't think we're going to make it to the stand today. <laughs> and yep. so we were like, well, whatever. Who cares? Is the wind's well, light? Let's hang some stands or let's hang some uh, some extra cameras, um, kind of move some around. And, uh, you know, when we get that cold weather, we're going to know what's going on. And um, we have a pretty good idea. We got our eyes on two two shooters. We have a pretty good core area buttoned up. Now it's just like, okay, we need more daylight activity. And well, when that happens, we'll strike. Yeah, I, I mean, I, this podcast is an interesting conversation that we're having right now because we're both talking about, you know, preparing for a time not as of right now, but a time that these deer have our eyes on or waiting to show up, that they're going to become more consistent and, and improve um, upon the time, the amount of time that they're moving during daylight hours. Like, it's building. However... Mm-hmm that does not mean that they aren't killable right now, that mm-hmm. they're not moving and they're not, you know, um, in, in a place potentially or just in travel and transition between different bedding resources yeah. or food resources that you can't be successful. Um, yeah. We're going to have a story, the next podcast uh, of a fantastic hunt that took place um, that, that, Casey was super, super successful, right? At this very, you know, within the last couple of days. So yeah. it's a thousand percent possible, but I'm, when you have time that's limited, right? Then you just hedge your bets on when the probability is going to be the highest. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll wait and not put some pressure on stuff and let it build and let it build and let it build. And then these cold fronts that are coming in, slipping and, and hopefully be fortunate enough to harvest. But what you're doing right now is just sitting back, gathering more intel, putting your feelers out there, and yeah. and building that information to be say, to say, okay, this is the window. This well, is the time that and Let's and go. the acorns are so thick right now that it's like, <laughs> my gosh, like 
you know, <laughs> when Chad and I were moving cows on Saturday morning, we were looking, you know, we were going to past places where we'd had them reeling up lines and looking at all the acorns on the ground. It's just like, this is ridiculous how many white oak acorns there are on the ground here. Um, and just like to the point where you're like, I had a couple of guys comment to me, a guy at church today actually said, uh, he goes, I was thinking about you, uh, the other day I was, I was hunting and I haven't seen a deer yet. And I've hunted a couple of times and he goes, and I'm getting, I'm hearing it. You know, he's not a hardcore hunter from, from what I know about him. Um, and he's like, you know, I've heard that from a lot of guys that this October has been pretty tough so far. And I said, huh, it's why I haven't been because there is acorns everywhere right now in the Ozarks and good luck. Good yeah. luck. Well, I mean, there's a lot of places that I've been to outside of just our region. I know just, you know, many different places. <laughs> there's just a great mass crop. Yeah. Um, and, and I was talking to um, actually Chad this evening and I posted a little bit of the story um, on Instagram just the other day. Well, guess what? Persimmons are starting to, to drop and the trees that I have just right here around the house. It's like, man, they're loaded too. So it's, it's just a, a bumper crop from a mass standpoint this year Mm-hmm. exactly yeah so which i'm happy about you know last sure. winter was pretty tough and and uh and and the turkeys certainly need the acorns by golly they better be getting it getting they a crop work. full of of, <laughs> of uh chinkapin and post oak acorns this this no fall doubt. um but and, and even white oaks, like there, there's just so many acorns in the white oak family. Very few red oaks, but I'm like, you know what? There, there was. Let's just play glass half full here. And and how horrible of a drought we're in right now. I mean, it is. We had that horrible span there, no rain in June and good part of July, and the heat. Right now we are drier but not, don't have the heat for the right. last part of August and now September and the first part of October. Almost virtually no rain at the farm. It said we had one-tenth in September, um, but I never saw it. Like, I didn't even see it on the radar. It was close. You caught that rain, and it said you had three-tenths, um, and I think you said you thought you had more than three-tenths, but it didn't make it to the farm, and that's the storm that said we got a tenth, and I don't remember any other measurable rain in September. So once again, September is the dry month. But here's the positive. This is glass half full kind of comment. If we had gotten all of this rain or gotten a bunch of rain in September and knocked the acorns off the trees and then we had warm October, a lot of those acorns would spoil. So at least now they're on the ground. They're not spoiling. And so we're, they're, usable. they're usable. And so deer are able to store up fat reserves going in the winter rather than having a bunch of acorns on the ground and, oh, we got a bunch of rain and it warmed up and now they're starting to sprout and they're spoiled. So that's the positive uh, in, in this drought. The other positive is that because it's continuing to, to be dry and the acorns are on the ground, water sources become now pretty good hunting technique in strategy and <coughs> Here's a water hole right next to right next to a good chunk of timber. There's a bunch of acorns, and there's a bet, and there's a thicket right here next to it. That might be a pretty good strategy. That might be a pretty good place to hunt. So, you know, well, we can funny. play play uh, glass half full here, even though yeah. we're in a drought. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I've been watching a couple, like well, the the field behind the house that had the alfalfa wheat and, and turnips and everything seeded in it. Um, it's hanging on. Uh, it certainly needs that drink. But each night that I'm able to put eyes on it right at dark, deer will come out, feed for 10, 15 minutes, and then all of them, they go basically in a group and go and hit the water hole and stay over there kind of in this little hidden corner from the house and then come back out and feed. So they're not feeding for prolonged periods of time and then going to get a drink. It's they're pretty thirsty when they hit the field, but they're hungry too. And like, I'm going to get a little nibble, then I'm getting the drink and then I'm going to really pack on. So they go over and hit that little water hole. Yes. That you put in. How's it holding water right now? I honestly haven't been back there probably in a week and a half. Gotcha. The last time you saw it it was still holding pretty well though, right? It was holding well, just as all, any other little hole that's not getting recharged, evaporation, consumption. Yeah. It was it was getting lower, but um, it, it needs a good rain to fill back in some. But it wasn't yeah. from a lack of, okay, I'm leaching somewhere. It was yeah. just, it's being used. And, Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I love it. And yeah. it, it's cool to see that, right? I mean, if, if they hadn't, it kind of makes you wonder, right? Okay, if that wasn't right there would they be hitting that field as much or like how would they utilize this different if that resource wasn't right there? No doubt. So, and it kind of makes that big field hunt. Yeah. That larger field hunt small. No doubt. There's a stand just over top of if it. If you right? were just like trying to put tenderloin in the freezer, you right. could set in that cedar tree right on that water hole and it would just be a matter of time for they walk 20 yards from you. If I had a west northwest wind, I could hunt, I could kill a doe every night. Yeah, it's just that consistent. But so it's cool to sit back and kind of watch that and observe and um, whatnot. But you know, this week's podcast, the stuff that we I, I don't want to say we we talked about it and mentioned it and covered portions of it, but man, it, it is just too timely not to talk about it. And I don't think we need to apologize for the fact that we're covering this topic again, just given <laughs> the fact that it's like, you don't hear our pastor, John, um, apologize that, hey, I know it comes as a surprise, but this week I'm going to be reading out of the Bible. Right. For us, it's this like, is... it may not come as a surprise, but we are going to talk about the October lull. Have to. <laughs> have to, have to, have to. And, yeah. um, there's there's a there's a great video to kind of coincide with what we're going to be talking about that MSU Deer Lab um, had posted. We're going to reshare that on our page. Um, but essentially, it's just hey, this thing, this phrase, this idea of the October lull is a myth. It's a legend. It, it's it's something I feel like hunters have just kind of came up with because things are changing and evolving um from the standpoint of bucks during this time frame the what where you could intercept them where you could observe them those places that they were frequenting throughout the summer and early portions of season now they've just shifted and they're just using the landscape a little bit differently and it's like this well, we're going to blame it on the weather that we can't keep up with them kind of thing. I feel like that's what it is. What's what's your thought, like, the origin there, Adam? Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, when you were saying that, I was thinking, like, in pre-show, I was thinking about this. There used to be a shirt, and I forget if Bass Pro sold it. But, uh, I know sold exactly it. what you're thinking. It said, it said vegetarian, <laughs> old, na- yes. old uh, Native American word for bad hunter. Yes. And it's like October lull, 
old hunting industry word for aren't killing anything right now. And, aren't uh, killing anything and my cameras are in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, because I just like, you know, there's so much. And I, I've criticized the hunting industry in the 90s and early 2000s and mid-teens pretty hard over time. I feel like there was a lot of anecdotal. Re- there was really, I don't think, any real research put behind any of it. It was well, kind of like one guy made anecdotal observations and another guy agreed. And by golly, here we are. And and the whole and the it. whole industry is like clinging to it. And, and you know how they are. It's like, the, and I say they as in just the industry. It's like one guy starts to say this and another guy kind of thinks the same thing. And then before you know it, the whole daggum bunch is saying it, and the whole yeah. crowd is shifting this way. And and it may just be that three guys from different things, different shows or whatever, had the same kind of opinion, and then before you know it, the whole industry is headed that way. And so now it's like October Lowell is like, uh, everybody's saying the October Lowell, and it's like, the only people that have really not said, I know, I know I'll stand on that soapbox and say we have said that from the get-go, that the October lull is really just a, uh, and it's an Indian summer, typically for guys, and it's also shifting patterns, and it just ultimately equates to we're not seeing the deer moving during daylight on food plots, or we're not killing them. And this MSU um, research the, the, in in various universities have have shared it. It's you look at it and you're like, "Yep, that's pretty much what you would could assume." And I know for us yeah. because we hunt diversified farms, and and by that I mean we have different habitat features, and 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 we run enough cameras in various locations to say, "Yep." They still move just as oh, much. Yeah. Yep. I, and I think that in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about on the podcast, you know, placing trail cameras, anticipating the shift, and then placing cameras now that you've anticipated the shift to allow basically bucks um, to begin getting in front of them. So essentially you're preemptively putting them out there and then beginning to capture this historical data that then builds a strategy for when those deer mature. So, so you're capturing and you're kind of cataloging what, you know, the two and the three-year-old bucks are doing. And then by the time they're four or five, whenever you want to target them, you know what's happening. Well, this is that time frame, And, and I think a lot of people, right. They, they're just behind the eight ball. They're, they're reactionary to it. They still want to play the food cup food plot game and, and and put all the eggs in that basket so i think a lot of things can get skewed when when your eyes whether it's you hunting in the tree stand so your observation from that anecdotal side of things but then also your eyes when you're not there from a trail camera standpoint when they're only associated in close proximity to a food plot or a food resource or an ag field that is changing, um, you know, it's being harvested. Yeah. You're going to have probably um, what was super consistent activity. It's going to change during this time frame, And I think that's a lot of that, that origin yeah. there, but I, if I, you I, can get things in place ahead of time, really. And, and I've seen it on, 
um, your guys's camera. I've seen it on my cameras. I've seen it on the stuff in Iowa. I know you've probably seen it on the stuff that Chad's been hunting up north. And it's like, I'm no, all I'm seeing pictures. are cows on those. <laughs> oh, well, I'm getting more pictures during this time frame. I'm not. Yep. I'm seeing an increase in buck activity. I, I um, think the October lull for a lot of people is like. And this is just in the last two minutes, I think, like four main factors that come to mind that would create this October lull idea. One being acorn drop. And I think that because early in September, I've seen this on cameras even just this month, is you can put you put out the the scouting for acorns like right now to me is a little I don't really get on that train a whole lot but when you see okay hey after over the years we know this one is an early dropper this one typically drops before the rest of the bunch let's put a camera on it and that one just being loaded with deer sign deer there all night throughout the day just deer 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 Yep. But then in early October hit, I think it was around probably the 4th or 5th, I noticed that that camera really dropped off. Well, then when we go there this weekend, we went up to the camera because we're like, what's going on? Is the card full? Nope, card's not full. Camera's working perfectly. It's just the fact that now there's acorns everywhere. All of the white oaks and chicken pins have started to drop acorns. Well, when that happens, they don't have to go to the one tree. There's a thousand of them around that they can go to. So it's more about feeding on them close to the bedding area. So that's one of them, acorn drop and so changing. I don't, wanna, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but to, to explain that factor and how, like, how important that is, I was out on a consult Friday in, in kind of centralist Missouri. Missouri. To write these and down on two occasions, on two occasions, we found beds on the, on points, lots yeah. of buck sign scrapes, multiple scrapes, multiple rubs right there in and around that, that, that bed. And um, in those beds, I could count either five to ten acorns laying on the bed like there's that just very defined depression of okay deer laid here and then acorns fell in the actual bed so of course everything around it was all food and it was like they don't have to get up and move hundreds of yards to go to these resources they are literally they're on their feet but they're standing up out of their bed and immediately in in a feeding situation yeah, it's, it's like, like meandering. That's how many acorns there are. That's right. You you bed down where you feel comfortable. You stand up and you start feeding and you don't go very far and all of a sudden you're full for a yeah. while. So then you just kind of meander, maybe go get water, His maybe work a scrape or two, maybe go check out a persimmon tree, meander, set down, just chill out, loaf. I think that might be a really good word because I want to talk on that yes. later, is loaf. Um, yep. And I'm not talking bread loaf. I'm talking the the experience of laziness, basically. Stand and loaf. Just chill. Yep. And because I, I see it a lot on camera right now, where you're like, just move out move of the <laughs> way and stop yeah. triggering this camera. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, there has no been doubt. more loafing photos 
lately in the last week or two than 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 I've had in the last three months. And yeah, you know, I have more it. cameras. That's a terrible anex- anecdotal thing, and my apologies for the researchers out there. They're like, prove it, prove it, show me. But well, there's more cameras out now than than I've had. But I've also had cameras out all all summer and fall on some of these cameras that are that are having the loafing patterns now and you're like my gosh just move please yeah. i don't need four emails with all these photos of the same doe and fawn or bucks sparring bucks. in front of it for yep. three hours and yep. anyway so loafing i think occurs a lot in 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 this october lull and i put that in air quotes because i don't believe it but anyway um it's middle of october time <laughs> exactly yeah and okay so i said acorn drop i think has a lot to do with probably this october lull that people think is occurring is because now they're everywhere by the time Early mid October hit most of the acorns of the white oak family, and I'm talking um, just the the g- general white oak tree, chinkapin oak, bur oak, swamp white oak are dropping. So now there's just food everywhere. Um, yep. And and if and you can put a camera in the middle of the woods on the best acorn dropper, but that doesn't mean deer are going to be on it every night because there's acorns nope. everywhere. Um, they have to pass ten of those just to get back to that one. Yeah, and so if bedding is somewhere three-quarters of a mile away, good luck on consistent pictures. Number two being this this uh, cool down and warm back up. You know, a general term, Indian summer, where you hit that early to mid-October and you get that, oh, now it's up to the 90s for a week or 80s. And you're like, goodness gracious, I hate this weather. Well, that will cause deer to not move drastic differences maybe shift to be more nocturnal during that week, but they still feed, they still drink, they still move. But if you don't have the bedding, they probably aren't coming all the way to your place on a consistent basis. And if they do, it's in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I, so I think, I think that like the, just within the phrase, like the title of the phrase, October lull, it's, it's, it's not a, I, people are just relating them to being, potentially very loafy like they're just not moving as as much but i think yet sometimes that that like the research the the gps coloring shows still a lot of movement across the landscape i think the timing of that movement like what you're talking about with these warmer days yeah that is a that is very impactful Mm -hmm. um sometimes yes they may not move um let's say a, a ton when there is a lot of acorns and it may still be a complicator compounded when it's warm and they're feeding on acorns, right? Mm-hmm. That it's just later. These deer aren't nocturnal from the standpoint because all these terms, people just associate so much to them, right? So the October lull, it, there's still a lot of activity. It's just the timing of that activity changes. And then the nocturnal factor is not, not based out of pressure or, or, you know, you're, you're, um, you're hunting it too hard or, or whatever the case may be. It's probably just because it's hot and it's cooler at night. So they're moving because they have their winter coats on. Like it's not nocturnal for those other reasons. If that makes sense. Yeah. That a lot of people would say associate nocturnal movement with. That's right. So that's, that's probably the biggest, that might as well be number one. Um, in in the effects of creating this, image of an October lull and number three being 
I think still there's a lot of shifting that's happening with mm-hmm. with patterns of, of deer from going from their summer range to their fall range. And I feel like it's almost like, you know, if you draw your bow back and you're trying to settle your pins, you first draw back and it doesn't, you, you start in kind of big and you kind of like zone in. And I think when a deer shifts from its summer, I believe anyway, I should say, that when a deer shifts from its summer pattern to its fall range or summer range to its fall range, it probably is a lot bigger as they kind of settle in and find those resources that are available for those fall months. And so they're shifting into those. And so, like, let's just say they're moving from a 200-acre summer range to a 100-acre fall range or a 200-acre fall range. I don't care, whatever the numbers are. they hit it, and they're going 200 acres. It's almost like when you turn cows into a new pasture. A lot of times, if if you're doing it in kind of conventional management, they got to find the fences. And so they're yeah. walking around, but then they once they find the fences, then they go into the finding the grass, and they start eating and kind of shrink that range down. And a deer, based on my camera observations over the years, and shoot now, somebody asked me the other day, I'm like, I guess I've been running cameras now for 23-plus years. Um I, I, yeah, it's right around 23 years. So, yikes! I feel like now I've I've mastered the art of trail cameras, and if I haven't, I really am a doof, I guess, because um, 23 years of running a lot of cameras. Goodness gracious, I should have it figured out. And and I've seen that deer bucks, especially. I'll just use the 10 that we're really kind of chasing this fall. He's shifted, Matt. You've you've seen those cameras. Like he's shifted from one side of the farm to the other. Right now, he's got a pretty big range, just like yep. Goofy, the buck we killed last year in mid October. He shifted uh, a similar pattern uh, of this ten shifted, and then he kind of shrunk it down for a little bit, and it came daylight active, and was like, boom, let's go get him. And I feel like they shift into those fall ranges, and they're kind of big. But they're finding the resources available. They're finding the bedding that they like. And then once they do that, they kind of shrink it down. And I think that whenever people are watching their trail cameras in September into October, they see a deer shift, or maybe they lose them altogether. But that's what's occurring. They're finding the fall range. They're finding their core area again. And they're shrinking it down. And when they shrink it down, that's when we say, oh, it's October lull. Well, it's because we haven't found them yet. We don't know where they're at on trail cameras. And if your trail cameras are on food plots and there's lots of acorns and it's a f- and they're far away from bedding, there you go. Voila, magic man, they vanished. And it's not that they vanished off the landscape. They vanished out of front of your tree stands and out in front of your food plots. Yeah, and, I, and- I think that the big shift that a lot of people just completely miss as as October begins to continue on, you're turning the pages throughout the month, is um, just the importance of cover mm-hmm. and, and knowing, okay, what that resource is going to be like. Maybe you are in a heavily pressured area and the season's now been open for three weeks to four weeks yeah. and you know that that's having an impact well i'm gonna well, absolutely be focusing in and around cover and putting my extra eyes out there yeah from a camera standpoint um and if you haven't done that you're gonna be sitting back and saying there's something to this whole october lull phrase <laughs> I, i'm a believer right yeah but but again that's you're you're skewing your own observation your own belief because you can't be everywhere and you can't have a trail camera on every single tree but but you have to realize that 
things do change throughout this month. Mm-hmm. And if you're prepared for them, you're not going to see a skip or a decrease or this lull of activity. You should be seeing an increase. And I think that from a really well-managed, I know we've done a podcast called the rut is kind of like your litmus test is, you know, how is your cover? Like you should be gaining deer steadily throughout October. They should be pouring into your farm because you're, you're keeping it secure. It has the cover. It has the food resources as these frosts are starting to happen. And these crop fields are being harvested that now you're the food source, but you're the cover and you're the security that they're really looking for. You should be building throughout this entire month and 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 next year hopefully you begin to set things up and say i don't even know what an october lull is i'm not a believer anymore because you're prepared you're proactive and you're ready to get basically just acquire a ton of deer throughout the month mm-hmm. well i think that that brings up number four is is hunting pressure kind of triggering this lull effect and so if you're you know ambitious i'll say that in in trying to find the best word possible i remember when i was a younger guy didn't have kids and i hunted you know when season opens up we've been sitting around all summer just gnawing at the chance to get to deer hunt so season opens up and we blow out of there with hate in our gut just trying to kill stuff and um bleed out <laughs> yeah and you're just like i'm gonna kill something i'm gonna start whacking and stacking and all of a sudden you've hunted every stand on your place multiple times or you've hunted a lot of places you bone through the farm early in the morning to hunt mornings and hunt afternoons and before you know it you're like i need somewhere fresh to hunt and it's october 10th that's yeah, when you good. probably pressure the place too much <laughs> and so yeah. the deer all have the, shifted the around your just- pressure and all the doe groups come out to the edge of the field and start looking up in trees and that it just yeah. immediately starts stomping. Not yeah. a good sign. Not a good sign. And so you add those four things out an Indian summer, an acorn drop, heavy acorn drop, uh, fall area shifting, and then you thrown in the middle, you the monkey wrench. Yeah, no wonder. And now you have to rely on the rut to kick in. And deer to get a little dumber because they're thinking more about reproduction than pressure as much. It's not, they're not solely focused on survival. They're thinking reproduction too, survival of the population and not just individual survival. And now it starts to get back to normal and you're starting to see deer because the rut happened. And I think that's what generally a lot of farms and a lot of a lot of people experience in in their in October. The one thing I wish I could see on the MSU video is I think it was the whole month of October, right? They didn't. Correct. I would love yep. to see that same buck from August and even Ju- July would be great if I could see him in July, see his patterns, and then see what that happens July through November. That would be an incredible thing to see. A great transformation because call up Bronson. Let's from, get him. Let's get him. Yeah. It would be a great follow-up podcast to get Bronson on and, 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 and chat with, you know, what does November look like? How does that trans- transition happen and occur yeah. for this buck? But I know out of some research from, from Penn State, um, they did have three-and-a-half-year-old bucks collared. And I believe this was not this was not like a linear – this is just the amount of travel that they moved within their home range, let's say, for the month of October – 
like 24 miles, right? Like he walked from October 1 to 30th. Okay. And then they, they looked at the month of November and that same buck in that same home range covered like 96 miles. And so that amount of movement just drastically increased and, and it would be awesome to be able to visually see, no, we don't know the structure type. We don't know the cover that's, you know, from the aerial perspective necessarily, but we do know, okay, just how much more time is spent in and around that cover to, to quadruple the amount of time that deer is on their feet in the same amount of time, the same third, uh, excuse me, not the same 30 day period, but a 30 day period compared to a 30 day period. That's what we're talking about when we're talking, you know, ramping up and, and preparing for November, but man, it would be super cool to see that comparison for this buck in particular. But I, I will say from a hunting standpoint, this, I think, I think they said it was a five, five and a half year old deer, mature, mature buck. Um, there were points and, and if it would be accessible or a hunter there were certain points um throughout the entire month or or the general travel travel pattern that that deer consistently went through i don't know what the bottleneck type features of the the area was but whether he kind of went a little bit wider path going to an ag or coming back generally there's a couple points and there was like man he like he is super consistent there and I think that that's another thing to pull away from that that video of the movement. Really be studying and focusing. I know, you know, you guys are doing it with that Big Ten. In this pattern that we're picking up, where are the points, whether it is habitat or whether it is topography, that yep. these are the areas where he's most vulnerable, but I can access that. And he's most frequent here, though, too. So when you can put all that stuff together – that's yeah. a, an extremely huntable um, location. And that's stuff that we will build habitat around when we're seeing it on properties and consultations. Like we need to make this bigger and better because this is going to confine mm-hmm. and define deer movement. Yeah. Um, so let's just do it and make it that much better. So yeah. it was kind of cool to see that in, in that buck's movement um, yeah. throughout the month of October. It's one of those that, yeah, you like that old Montgomery Gentry song, there's one in every crowd. There's one on every farm. I don't. I say yeah. that a little loosely because not every farm has those key features, but a lot of them do. And when we're consulting and we find those key features, like yes, this that to me is the that's why I enjoy private land hunting versus public land hunting. From public land hunting, yes, it is fun. Try to find those points, those little bottlenecks, and get in and kill deer. But it's really, really enjoyable and fun to me to find them and then on private land set up a feature to enhance them even more and make it yeah. to where basically I'm laying out the, the puzzle pieces all around it so we can get into this little pinch, this little bottleneck, and because of the f- management we've done on other p- pockets around it or in other locations it in and builds. around it, it just makes it so much more consistent. And I get, and, and I not get, only yeah. that, the deer get bigger and more consistent and boom, we yep. can move in and get them. Yes. And that's yeah. what I love about, honestly, Adam, what it is we do. We don't just focus on, okay, hey, here's the deer on your property. Here's what they're doing. Here's how I would hunt them. That's yeah. a very necessary component. 
of what we do, but but on top of that, what we pair that with is, okay, here's the property, here's how I would hunt it, but let's not just settle for what the general population quality is here. Let's improve yeah. the landscape. Let's give these things more resources. Let's let's make this stuff more consistent. Let's address the weak spots, the limited resources with quality habitat. And bam, now we've got bigger deer and really consistent, great hunting. And um, man, just just really trying to trick out some farms. And that's, yeah. that's fun. <clears throat> you know fun. that that gif that you've seen it. Let's put politics aside, but everyone's seen this gif. And it's Donald Trump. And I think it's from a quote or from a debate night. And they say something about him. And he kind of does that like throws his chin back into his neck and he kind of, then he raises his eyebrows and like, yeah, okay. That's what I feel like when you hear the comment, like I get it from, from local people that I grew up around. We're like, Oh, you still working with people and, and, uh, putting out food plots or helping them with their food plots. And I kind of do that face like, yeah, no, we do a lot more than that. In fact, that's way down the list of what we actually do. And and that right there, what we're just talking about, is a big part of what we're doing. We're improving the habitat, improving the overall health of the land, health of the land of uh, the wildlife that are there, and all wrapping it all up in a great big package with a real pretty bow on it for a hunting strategy. Real too. pretty, and real, uh, real and, pretty. And bow. so when I looked at that that video um, of that buck moving back and forth, it's like, oof, what I would love to do to get in there to cut in some bedding cuts and find a way to access these key points. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's, it's pretty cool to look at. And that's the thing. I think, I think this, this year, at least I know of already two, two booners that have been shot, um, from, from clients. So it's like, no, this stuff is working and it's happening and we haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. And, um, we haven't even, (laughs) <laughs> scratch the surface yet so um yeah. hopefully you guys are going to be uh tuning in to some of those podcasts when we're um reviewing those hunts those successful hunts with clients and chatting about that exact same thing that we're that we're talking about just mm-hmm. how predictable things were in relation to the work that has been done um so anyhow yeah. man that's all, all my thoughts on the whole october lull yeah. hoopla you want to call it but mm-hmm. get out there guys october and, uh, lowell and unicorns that's what that's yeah. what we're talking about this week <laughs> exactly yeah. and bigfoot yep. <laughs> right but yep. um hopefully hope we'll get some work wrapped up here adam and we'll find ourselves in a tree stand here soon yeah no doubt with bows sure. in hand no doubt yep and cameraman in in stand too that'd be there even better go. yeah no doubt so, <laughs> for making orders All right, there we go. That's mine. All right, guys, we hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week. We'll see you guys.